0: What's up you awesome nerds? Welcome to Pitch to the Pitch Perfect podcast. My name's Kaylee Hillier and today on the podcast I'm well excited as we have got a chat with Alicia Mead. So excited. It has been so good to talk to her and I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. We've also got our fan fiction highlights this week which include the Chloe. We've got a little bit of... Bemily in there, and strawberry to squeeze in as well. But first, let's get updated with, of course, what's been happening with our actor news. Ah! So, what can I say about actor news this week? I mean, how are we all feeling, first off? After the release of Stowaway, how, how have we recovered from this whole thing? I don't know about you, but it probably took me about two days to get over watching that film. What a film. Gosh, it just leaves you thinking about so much. I'm not going to give away anything because like, I appreciate people haven't seen it. We don't want to give away spoilers. Bearing in mind, literally like hours, even minutes after the movie came out, the spoilers were coming up online. So I feel sorry for anybody who is trying to avoid spoilers for Stowaway. I think at this point, good luck if you still haven't seen it and you've avoided spoilers for this long. I'm impressed, but they are everywhere. And at least there was this whole kind of feeling online after people were watching it of just like... You had other people who knew how you felt after watching that film because there's, there's a lot going on, all of the sort of mor- morals of what to do and just the whole mood at the end of that film just makes you like digest life and just what the heck? like what would you do in that situation it's so difficult so yes i still feel a little bit like i'm in recovery i've been trying to get myself up to the point of watching it again but i haven't quite got there yet and uh, it's a whole roller coaster of a journey that film of course, with Anna Kendrick's film, Stowaway, coming out, she's been doing the news rounds, she's been out there promoting the film, and you've probably seen online, she's been on the likes of Jimmy Fallon, eTalks, CTV, Steph Myers, and then on the 29th, she's also going to be on the Kelly Clarkson show. So the great thing when there's a new movie or, or project coming out, it means that we just get to enjoy all of the extra stuff they do for press and see them doing all the interviews and having fun i loved the jimmy fanon one because you know that he's always going to get to some random antics as he does in his show and so we got to see him and anna kendrick singing which who doesn't want to see anna kendrick sing it's fantastic and of course a day later we got ben platt's new single imagine so we're all kind of quite morbid after watching Stowaway, at least we get the joy of the new Ben Platt single, which is just beautiful. And I did kind of feel like it was kind of well timed after watching Stowaway, so just bring up the mood a little bit with that one. In other news, Anna Camp was also on TV. She was doing a show called Overserved with Lisa Vanderpump, and I've seen clips of it, and I must say. I was shocked at some of the revelations that came out on that show. Like, the worst one is that she shares this revenge story. Now, Anna Camp, you know, she seems like quite a nice person. Clearly, though, you don't want to get on the wrong side of Anna Camp because she shares this revenge story of a time when she was younger and and somebody was just really not nice to her. I'm not going to give it all away, but it involves acting and also... A toilet I was quite mortified after listening to that story so don't get on the wrong side of Anna Camp I think is the moral of that one that's it for our actor news this week I'm excited to delve into variety of fan fiction that I've enjoyed but first I have had the pleasure of chatting to fanfic writer Alicia Mead and it was a joy to kind of delve into her fics and the process of her writing and also just like some deeper aspects of being a fan fiction writer as well. So I'm excited for you to listen to this one. So what can I say about this particular fan fiction writer? Well, they've had a number of big fics throughout the years that have kind of captured people's imaginations. 36 questions with the sort of heartfelt emotion of that fic. We've also had a number of fascinating AUs. One of my favourites is The Kissing Booth. And then we've also had the big quarantine fic that everybody knows as Desperate Measures. And then of course, last but not least, Finding Harmony, the epic. There's about 90 chapters, I think, by now. And to say that I have had to read some interesting summaries out on the podcast from this particular fan fiction writer. I'm very, very excited to have uh, Elisa Mead on with me today, AKA Erin. Hi Erin. Hello, hello. hello. Thank you so much for chatting to me today. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. (laughs) I'm glad you're excited. This is good. Good. (laughs) I mean, where do we even start? There's so many places that we could go (laughs) uh, with this. (laughs) People might not know who you are. Could you share a little bit about yourself?
1: Um, yeah, my name is Aaron, a.k.a. Alicia Mead, Alicia Mead, Alicia Mead, any and all of the above. I am in my 30s and I live in New York City and I am obsessed with Broadway in addition to Pitch Perfect. So it's a nice amalgamation of worlds with the musical movies. And I've been writing fanfic in one fandom or another since about 2008, which feels like five lifetimes ago. And I've been in Pitch Perfect, the Pitch Perfect fandom now for going on about 10 years, which is crazy.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now we all feel old. (laughs) (laughs) Did you hook into the fandom side of Pitch Perfect quite early on? Not really. Every once
1: in a while, I like to go back and find, like, what was my first Anna Kendrick post about? Or what was my first The Chloe post about? And I went back and found it. And it was from October 2012, which was a few months after the first movie came out. It's my first post ever about it. And it literally says, are we going to talk about the unresolved sexual tension between Becca and Chloe? And that was the post. Like I said, it was in, like, October 2012. And later that day, I discovered that there was a fandom and a ship, and it was called The Chloe. I must have searched enough to find that. And then there's like silence on my blog until like 2015. And I think that's when Pitch Perfect 2 came out. And I'm sure it was sparked by the tent scene and the experimentation as it spawned so many things, including Red Lance's amazing experimentation. And that is really when I entered the fandom and started writing. And that was the impetus behind Finding Harmony, because that was the literal first scene in Finding Harmony, is kind of the repercussions of Chloe's kind of mini confession.
0: And we will probably delve into it a little bit later on, but I do find it fascinating that especially Pitch Perfect 2 and that specific scene that you mentioned in the camp It does seem to have sparked a number of big things from it, whether people are hooked into the fandom from that or the fix that have come because of that specific scene is quite amazing. Yeah, and I think that
1: has to do with it almost reinforcing the thoughts that we all had. Seeing it, just like how, you know, me not knowing anything other than thinking Anna Kendrick was pretty, seeing this movie and being like, wait, what is this weird tension? And what are all these odd moments and lingering glances? And I'm looking at your boobs, obviously. And things like that that are happening, you know, in the first movie. And then they leaned into it, you know, in the second movie by literally having, you know, Chloe hitting on Becca. And I think that that just opened the door for so many creators and and readers to explore this, like, Writing the injustices, if you will.
0: That is true. I and mean, We we'll won't go down that whole debate today. But like, I mean, like that scene in particular, like, I don't think they could have done it any plainer. It's very clear what was happening in that scene. <laughs> exactly. So where did it all start for you then? When did you first see Pitch Perfect? So it was in
1: the year it came out, but like I didn't see it right when it first came out. I managed to go back and find Facebook posts about wanting to see this movie that I saw a trailer for and whatnot. And I finally went and saw it. I know I saw it by myself and was obsessed with the movie immediately. And toward the end of the movie, when they're all having their like confessions before the riff off. And like Chloe jumped up to tell everyone that she had no surgery in her nodes. I gasped because I thought she was jumping up to say that she was gay. <laughs> and, it, but, and then that's not what happened. But that was like, I was already so invested in the dynamic and Chloe being this, you know, heart eyes every time she looks at Becca kind of person that I literally thought, upon my first viewing that there was going to be this big confession, and that's what it was going to end up with. So that was my my entry into the Pitch Perfect world was disappointment, I guess. But the hope that came with all of that of being able to tell it my own way.
0: I remember thinking back upon my own experiences of first watching Pitch Perfect, and you can see something is there with Becca and Chloe. I mean, it's fairly obvious. But at the same time, I think it wasn't till the second move that I really hooked into the whole idea of the Chloe and, and everything there, but the fact that you kind of were so hooked into it, you'd already clued into that at that point was amazing.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, a lot of wishful thinking. I think you always want the the two pretty best friends to be more than friends. You know, in this day and age of wanting representation and whatnot, but anyone who watches that movie, I think, comes away with like you can still go on Twitter and see, and search it, and people are being like, "I just saw this movie, and why aren't the redhead and the brunette together?" Like, it's so blatant. I guess, really.
0: You mentioned that you kind of saw bits of the fandom, but it wasn't till the second movie that you got hooked into that. But from what you've been saying, your hook into fan fiction writing happened before Pitch Perfect. Yeah, and a completely unrelated fandom, which shall not be named.
1: If people know, they know. But literally, like I said, in like 2007 or so, I didn't even know fan fiction was a thing. I didn't know it existed. And, you know, kind of came about by obsessing about actors and actresses and performances and whatnot and discovered this whole world. Um, on the internet of people writing these stories and whatnot. And much like Finding Harmony ended up with 90 chapters as my first like out of the gate, like story for a fandom. The first story I had written in that world was something like 80 chapters. I guess it's like go big or go home for me. <laughs> for me. So I started in a different fandom before Pitch Perfect you know, it was ever a movie and cut my teeth. Cause I, I'd never written anything before. Learning the ins and outs of how to create a plot, how to write dialogue how to write emotions, how to write a love scene, you know, all all things like that, that I kind of worked on honing skills for before Pitch Perfect existed.
0: That's really amazing, though. So you really honed that through writing fan fiction? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you doing writing for anything before that? Or was it really fan fiction that kind of hooked you into the heart of writing? Yeah, no, literally just fan fiction.
1: Like I had never considered myself to be a writer of anything. I think imposter syndrome is a real thing that I deal with. And it's sometimes hard for me to be like, and I think I'm kind of good at it, but I think at this point I can feel like I'm kind of good at it because I've been doing it now for so long. And, you know, everyone who reads my work and gives me feedback and whatnot, like I appreciate everyone so much and it makes me feel like I kind of know what I'm doing. (laughs) So, but that said, it horrifies me to think about going back and reading my old work i mean i could i'd rewrite finding harmony if if i had the time and energy because you can also see in that me right figuring out how to write beck and chloe and that in that fit you know it's all a process and whatnot but i never considered myself a writer before and i kind of do now
0: that's really cool though especially that you kind of found something that you i'm assuming you enjoyed at the beginning and um like you said, you saw a progression as you went through and yeah. saw development, whether it was in this fandom or a different fandom, that you can like look back on your work now and see how far you've come, really.
1: Yeah exactly and, and that's really cool to look back on because like I, I wrote for glee for for a hot second and you know that was such a moment in time to be able to look back on you know recent history like that what that fandom was like and whatnot so it's it's been cool to kind of like go through this evolution of of worlds and fandoms and characters and friend groups and everything all with fan fiction at the core of it all and all the people that everyone and almost everyone in my life other than work co-workers i've met through one fandom or another which i think is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, it's something that I didn't—I'd never really hooked into a fandom before, really that deeply until this one. And and discovering the online space that it was—that you do kind of meet people and you get to know people, and and being able to share something or a skill like you've been developing with your writing, and talk to other creators, other people who enjoy the same thing as you—is actually really special. And yeah, it's really lovely to be able to find that in the Pitch Perfect fandom. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so. With all your writing, and, and like you said, you've been able to kind of get to know these characters quite a bit. You've written a lot about them. I'm assuming your favorite ship is BeChloe unless it's some odd one that we don't know about. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm, at, I'm actually a secret Stemily shipper. No, I mean, no shade to, the st- to Stemily, what, whichever Stemily you want it to be. Um, unless it's a simple favorite Stemily, then absolutely. But yes, BeChloe all the way.
0: And your favorite character?
1: I mean, I, th- I guess at the end of the day, it's going to be Becca. But that, that's almost like trying to have someone choose between their children, whether it's Becca or Chloe. But I'd, yeah, I'd go, end up going with Becca at the end of the day.
0: So for you, what is it about Chloe that just hooked you in? I think it's a lot
1: of their personal issues, if you will. Whether it was intentional in the movies or otherwise, and the headcanons that I have and that and the fanons that have been created over the years and whatnot... For me, what's so fascinating is the personal journeys that both characters ultimately go on in in basically every story. Yes, there are the fluff stories, and we've all read them and written them, myself included, of like, they're married, it's a great day, the end. And And that is an absolutely enjoyable piece of literature to read, but the majority of stories are... Um, There's there's misunderstanding, there is uh, internalized homophobia, or um, not out to family members, or long distance issues, or fame issues, and all of those create really interesting mazes to navigate in terms of characters. And there are really just myriad ways to take those characters through all of those obstacles in order to end up together at the end. And that's almost how I see it is like you put two mice in a maze and they have to find their way through it. And there might be more than one way to find it, find their way through every time. And I think that's what's so fascinating is that, and with fan fiction in general, like, We've all read tropes exist for a reason because we all love them. How many times do we need to read a fake dating AU A million times because it's great every time. And there's all, it is done differently every time. So yeah, I think it's just because no matter what, you can take them on like a new journey every time. And still hopefully, because I'm not a a person who's super into angst, but hopefully have a happy ending every time.
0: Fingers (laughs) crossed. Yeah. I think that's the thing, especially with the Chloe, and maybe it came from the films because it didn't happen in the films. One of my favourite, I suppose it's a genre or whatever to read, is The Pining. the Becker and Chloe. I mean, yes, people are so good at just doing the, the mutual pining that they both seem to go through. And I think yep. because we experienced it in some level watching the films, it transposed so well to those characters and people do it so well in in the fix of, of just drawing it out as long as possible. I mean, yeah. even if we just take last year and, and desperate measures, I mean, I remember you getting messages of people just being like, when are you going to put them properly together? But I suppose that that's the joy is the fact that they both want it, but it's just not <laughs> quite there. Like... Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly cuz and you know and as a creator for the, you know most of the time I know how it's going to end and most of the time I have an idea of the structure of a story. And with that story in particular, I really didn't. You know, it was the start of quarantine. I think we were all like thirsty in one version of another for human contact whether, you know, whether sexual or otherwise cuz no one in the world has generally speaking, has been in this situation before where we're all on month three of not even getting to see our best friend or our mom or whatever. And that like concept of complete isolation, but then you're isolated with the one person you've been attracted to forever, or you've been hiding your feelings for. And how long can you withstand that before the dam breaks in in some capacity? Because especially when you have a personality like Chloe, you know, who's so overt in her affections and whatnot, and open about who she is and, and what she wants most of the time and whatnot. And I think that it was kind of that fic in particular, and the pining that goes with it is, is really like a development of everyone's collective experience of being kind of cut off from the world and the intense desire to reconnect in, in some way. And in and, and it manifested itself in a blackoi thick as being obviously a very E-rated fic, but like I said, like, I think it just kind of represents our need for human connection.
0: I mean, that was a typical example of something that was happening in real life that you can then put into these characters and see how that played out. And and like you kind of mentioned, it almost became kind of therapeutic to be able to have that and see them go through a similar thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then even being able to, again, with that story in particular, being able to discuss what might happen next with different people. And, you know, I spoke a lot with one of my really good friends about that fic and, and going through like brainstorming ideas and usually like kind of tongue in cheek about things of like, what crazy thing can we make? Can we make them break the table? You know, things like that, that are fun things to talk about with other fandom friends. But in the end, it, it was still all about like, how do we get them closer and closer and closer and still have them be so far apart. <laughs> and like, and how wild can, can it be while having that like unresolved feelings? You know, they've dealt with the physical and how long can they avoid dealing with their actual feelings? And eventually, you know, there's an inevitability. Well, at that point, we thought quarantine would end in a matter of maybe a couple months, you know, where I know we're a year and a half into it or whatever now you into it, and it's still ongoing in d- different ways. But there was an inevitability of Kind of like the train nearing the end of the bridge situation. And that was kind of the feeling that I had in in my mind as I was writing of like, well, they can keep having all of this fun and, and whatnot, but they have to deal with it eventually.
0: Yeah, I think that was quite interesting with that fit because you almost felt like they were there, but they weren't. And so then it was constantly that, well, when is it going to happen? When is the dam going to break?
1: Yeah. And in that, you know, if you think about if you yourself were in that situation, you know, imagining having this very intense love affair or, I guess, sexual affair with your roommate. And then if you were to confess feelings, and this is all, all, obviously a plot device in, you know, most of the Chloe at this point, but to confess your feelings and then ruin everything. And, but that's a very real fear that I think most of us have faced in one way or another of like, oh, I really like my friend or a person that I've just met, but is my confessing how I feel worth the potential loss of having that person in my life whatsoever. And I've dealt with that countless times and I'm sure many, many people have. And so that was really the, you know, the baseline for that entire story of like, we're going to keep doing this and eventually it's going to like blow up in our face or maybe it's going to be happily ever after. But there was no way of knowing until they got to that point for them, yeah. what would happen.
0: <laughs> I think, yeah. And then everybody just being like, what is going to happen, like. like... <laughs> because everyone like everyone you know people
1: love the smut and whatever but at the end of the day like people just want them to like be in love and be happy and you know and that's you know that like smut is just like one part of that so despite it being the, the smutty fix that it was people just really wanted them to get together and have that happily ever moment because especially at that point in our world everyone just needed like positivity and whatnot and like the light at the end of the tunnel kind of situation so I get why people (laughs) were like have them confess their feelings now when's it gonna happen but they needed to have their fun for a while first
0: yeah I think the whole idea of they were almost there but it didn't quite happen and then constantly being on that edge just really helped to kind of really draw people in and then like you said just the hope that it was going to turn out okay that they would get there at some point, but it was always, it's always just, yeah, just keeping them on that edge, just keeping them going.
1: <laughs> exactly. It has to be a page turner, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or a, sp- a scroller, a screen scroller, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. It would be now and they <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So taking it right back to your username then, I mean, where did that come from? That was me
1: needing to come up with a new username because I had a different one for a very long time that... Too many people in my professional life knew. <laughs> and I had been using it on Tumblr as well. It's a funny story because I mean, and I'll share it with, with you and the, and the listeners because I've shared it within the fandom before. I just won't say what my name used to be. Many people will remember. But anyway, when I worked on a Broadway show, one of the actresses I worked on a, a video shoot with found me on Instagram. But turns out that actress went to college with, with Kelly from the cast. They were in like acapella together in college. So then all of a sudden I was like, oh no, that's like way too close of a cast member. Like she tagged me in a photo and everything. I'm like, I don't need Kelly being like, who is this person? And like, you know, you like living in a world of paranoia, ending up on like my Tumblr full of pitch perfect inappropriateness. So I literally was like trying to figure out what my name should be. And I probably had watched Clueless recently and Alicia Silverstone in like 1995 or whenever that movie came out was so beautiful and I was so obsessed with her as a teenager. And I have always loved the name. And so I, I like was like, I'm gonna be Alicia. And there was like a roll of packing tape on my desk by the brand Mead. <laughs> so I was like, I was like Mead is a last name. Um so I'm literally like clueless tape is really the, the what my first and last name uh spring name are uh, so it's not a very sexy story by any man, means but just was just obsessed with at least alicia silverstone and and her name
0: i love that that is amazing yeah can we just can we just also just appreciate that coming up with usernames is a hard thing to do yes it was it was
1: mildly traumatic to have to let go of the name that I used every I mean it was everywhere I had a, a website that was that with that domain I, every, everyone in my life knew me as that name um they knew who I was in reality but they all knew that that was my screen name um so it was it was kind of traumatic for, for me to have to have to change but what like what a you know slightly insane reason to have to change it of like a one percent chance of someone from the cast like connecting me as a real person who works at a real job on this broadway show but is also this person i'm like that's just too close for
0: comfort <laughs> yeah. by the way you also right fanfics yeah. yeah i'm like <laughs> mm-hmm. you might be in some but like your characters
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm like yeah i'm just gonna shift to the left there so
0: i love that i think we should title this uh podcast clueless tape <laughs> and and perfect like, because also people get really scared about changing or having to rebrand or do whatever they need to do, start a new account. So it must have been quite daunting. you know. I mean, thankfully, I just
1: changed my name so I didn't lose any of my content. I don't know how people do that. I don't know how people erase their Instagrams. I don't know how people erase their their blogs. I mean, I've had my Tumblr since like 2010, I think. That's 11 years of my life on there. So, I was like there's no way I can just erase all of this. I can mix things up so it's not so obvious of who I am and, and cutting ties to things so like you can't get to my Instagram quite that easily and things like that to help with protect my privacy a tiny bit. But it's still not hard to find me in the real world on there. But I could never I saw my live journal, which is where I, my first fandom started. And I started my live journal in like in in 2002 in college. So, I guess I'm a hoarder of sorts, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but isn't that what blog is? I mean, it's it you know, it's your life or the things that you want to like put up on there.
1: Exactly, like, and it's it's, and it's fun to be able to go back and revisit. I mean, sometimes it's also sad, <laughs> depending <laughs> on what it is. Or like, God, what what was I thinking in those moments of going back and looking at one's life or immaturity of re, of, of reacting to something or whatnot. But I wouldn't delete it for anything. Like, I mean, the things that I'm quote unquote, not ashamed of, but the things that, you know, the fandom that shall not be named, like all of that still exists in the world, but I have it so locked down that like, you have to like ask me personally (laughs) to have access to it, but I still can't make myself just completely get rid of it. It's so important to like who I am as a person to like erase that and the the conversations that came in comments and whatnot as a result of it, it's just like it doesn't, the benefit doesn't outweigh the cost.
0: Yeah. That's part of your life that you, you know, that you can still have there and and appreciate, you know, where you've come from and the things that you've experienced through that. Exactly. So going into your writing then, where would you say your inspiration comes from? Because you've, you've written a whole host of different stories And I was always fascinated with some of the AUs that you've done. And then also, obviously, some of the more recent stuff that you've kind of been inspired, like we talked about the pandemic and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I've certainly written like genres that run the gamut. In terms of AUs and whatnot, I have written many of them. And some of them are closer to the original material than others to a point where I almost critical of myself of being like, I just literally ripped off that dialogue. Um, but in favor of trying to get the story out of my head. And, you know, with something like The Kissing Booth. You know, I watched that movie and I was like, this would be so amazing if it was the And I think that's kind of how it happens with many fic writers who write um, AUs that are adapted from other material, whether it be book or movie or video game or what have you. I couldn't stop imagining it being Becca and Chloe in this scenario. I just had to, you know, word vomit it out and get this story out. And I've done that, you know, a number of times. Like I did it with Kissing Booth. I did it with Dirty Dancing. Because like with that one in particular, I called it Sexy Singing because adjectives. That movie, Dirty Dancing, is so beloved for so many people, at least of a certain age. Certainly for me, as the movie that came out in like the, the late 80s, that again, like I was like, there's, I can just so easily... Slip the entire Pitch Perfect cast into this plot and still have it be effective with like maybe some fine tuning because sometimes, like, sometimes you can have like suspend disbelief about things, but sometimes you do have to change plot points. So it makes sense because like Becca would never do XYZ weird thing. But the great thing about fan fiction is that it allows writers to write more quickly, I guess, without having to do the hard work of world building. And I think that's a common theme that I've seen discussed across the board. And to be able to be like, oh, here's this amazing plot of Dirty Dancing or Kissing Booth or uh, Black Mirror or something, and being able to adapt it for the characters that you know and love and have them experience it makes for a really nice like creative outlet without having to invest so much... Emotional energy, and frankly, time trying to create something from scratch. And then that's what's so great, I think, about fan fiction. Well, that's what fan fiction is. It's what Pitch Perfect and the, all the Chloe fic is. Is like that movie was created. There's your plot and there's your characters. Now do what you want with it. You know, all the heavy lifting was done. And the AUs are are kind of that way for me as well. Of like, great, let's throw them in this other crazy scenario. Whether it's a coffee shop AU or a movie AU of sorts. And that's what I'm you know attempting to work on right now is like I watched a movie like a few weeks ago. And the entire time I was watching this movie, I'm like, that's literally Becca and Chloe. Like it was making me so angry that it wasn't Becca and Chloe <laughs> in this movie. And it was even a brunette and a redhead having this like illicit affair in this movie. And I started writing it like as soon as I got home, and I haven't been able to finish it yet because I was visiting family and whatnot. But it was that experience where the entire movie, I was just like, I need to make this into Bakhloe, like right now. <laughs> and I'm about halfway finished with it. And here's hoping I can get it done sometime in the next few weeks. We'll see.
0: I think that's the amazing thing, though. When you're really hooked into a ship, that, like you said, you'll just watch something and suddenly your mind will just click in and that's all you can see. Like, yeah, you're just exactly. stuck in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and it's not something that like it's not something
1: that I find that I can force. I frequently say, like, I don't like to do prompts. I can't do prompts because it is very difficult for me to take someone else's idea and be asked to find inspiration in it, which is what largely what prompts are, at least if we're talking more complex prompts. That's what's happening when I see a movie or read a book or what have you, where the, the inspiration is coming to me without me trying, I can't watch The Good Place and decide that I want it to be B'Chloe. Maybe But maybe The Good Place would talk to me and tell me that it's going to be Chloe instead of Cheaty and Kristen Bell's character.
0: I think it's quite interesting how people's inspiration comes from different places. And I can relate to that quite a bit, just for the fact that I have quite a vivid imagination. So when something captures that, my mind can go off on one. And that's it. But like you said, that must be quite challenging if you get a prompt in, because if you don't catch on to that, if you can't envision that, then it's going to be very difficult for you to do anything with that.
1: Exactly. So I don't even really actively ask for prompts unless i'm just trying to come up with some germ of an idea and i have i have prompts in my inbox from like 4 years ago i still scroll through every once in a while to be like is it sparking anything yes no maybe because you never know and like i like i never know what's going to spark an idea for a story in my head or not so i so i'm not a prompt person really but i do like finding inspiration in other mediums and in my life you know i'm not in my 20s i'm in my Very late thirties now, since I just had my birthday, you know I've had a lot of life experience and relationships and and whatnot, and you know to be able to tap into that just wide variety of experience with other people and love and friendships in professional settings and whatnot. You know, thankfully, I have this really wide variety of experience in my life to be able to kind of tap into um, in terms of being able to tell a story and hopefully telling a story effectively and in a a realistic way that doesn't seem too far-fetched, even though sometimes like Becca's a superstar and whatnot. And it's like, well, is that too far-fetched? Pitch Perfect 3 told us it's not, you know, things like that, that like, how do you take this crazy AU or even not AU just crazy story and still make it feel real and human.
0: It must be quite exciting as well, because you wouldn't know what would catch your imagination. Some little Mm -hmm. thing could happen and spark a thought that just kind of, runs itself exactly
1: exactly and, and i love when that happens and it hasn't happened to me in a long time i mean it's like no secret like i haven't published a story since like christmas and that was for like the pitchmas gift exchange but i also cranked out like six rated E fix or something at the top of quarantine. And I think I just like used up a lot of my like creative, my creative energy in between that and and life and whatnot. Because COVID world isn't fun. And I I live alone in a small apartment and and whatnot. And it gets to be difficult to find creativity and things. So I hadn't really been writing. And then I went and saw this movie because movie theaters reopened in New York a few weeks ago. And it was so exciting to go see a movie. And sat down to watch this movie, and I was just like itching to like leave the theater. Like, can I can I be on my phone in Google Docs, like writing this, writing the Butchloe version of this movie while I'm actively watching like, watching the movie? I couldn't because I'm not an asshole at a movie theater. But you know, it was so fun to finally feel that again, and hoping that it's the you know the start of being able to resume you know kind of the cadence of of stories and whatnot that I had been putting out over the past several years. It is so uh, weird to me to not be writing something. And I, like, there was only one time where I wasn't actively working on something. And it was right after I finished Finding Harmony because I wrote that story for three and a half years. I was so happy for it to be done <laughs> in in a, like, in a good way. It was emotional and I was, you know, it was bittersweet and all of that, but I was so happy to not have an obligation it ended up being a slog to get through because I'm like, I am so invested. Everyone's so invested. I have got to end this story in a satisfactory way that I finally got it done. And it was so nice to feel no obligation to do anything. And I could do whatever I wanted and produce what I wanted. And I was not held to any expectation or standard of what, but what about the next chapter of Finding Harmony? Very rarely would I do something else because I felt such an obligation to keep churning that story out. So since then, I took a break after that a little bit and then got to dive back in. So this is my longest kind of break from writing um since I finished that story in 2018 or so, I think it was. And it feels really weird. Like on one hand, it's kind of nice to not feel, oh God, I have I promised something I have to finish. And now everyone knows I'm working on a fic and that's fine. Um <laughs> but yeah, but, you but, said it now. Like, <laughs> I know I said it. But I'm excited about it and I intend to finish it and whatnot. And it, like I said, it feels good to be starting to create again. And I hope that it's like you know, opening a door to like another like era of the Chloe content creation for myself. I genuinely miss it. It's very weird for me to like not have that presence in my life in one way or another, whether it's creating, reading, I have barely, like I haven't read someone else's fic in months, as far as I can remember, being active in the fandom on Tumblr, all of those things. And I see that light at the end of the tunnel for myself, like emotionally and mentally. So I'm very excited about what may come in the future.
0: I think that's quite a fine balance, though. Like, you know, like you mentioned, there are periods where you're writing a lot, you're creating quite a lot of stories. And I'm sure other people experience as well. I know I do when I'm kind of really in a creative place that it just happens and you're able to kind of check out quite a lot of stuff. But also at the same time, like you said, it was nice to have those little moments where you could have a break and it's kind of that catch-22 of like, I wouldn't create stuff, but also I want to balance it out with everything else going on and trying to find a happy kind of balance with that. I think life is allowing me to find to be a little more creative now. So here's hoping. And we did get some questions through. I put sort of ask people on like Tumblr and Twitter and Instagram oh, if no. they want to ask you anything. And there's one question I think kind of fits with what we're talking about at the moment. This is from an anon on Tumblr who said, which kind of goes along with what we were saying, you used to write a lot. Did you lose interest in Bacchloe? Did the pandemic cure your inspiration? Or are you just taking a break? Um, all of the above <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> is really the answer to that. I mean, I did not leave Bacchloe
1: by any stretch of the imagination. And it is a bit of a self-imposed slash um, unavoidable hiatus, I guess, if you will. And I, and with full intention of returning, working on a story, hopefully with many, with many more to come and whatnot. I hope I'm never going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you can never <laughs> I'm leave the Let's
1: be the class. last man standing. I'm gonna be the last yeah. man standing in the, in this in this fandom. You'll see. You all you little all you kids will see.
0: I think with everything going on with the pandemic and and everything, it, it does add more pressure and keeping your mental space clean as well with everything going on. Like the last thing you want to do is to wear yourself out creatively or anything like that. So I think when those times come where you can be really inspired and and do a lot, then do it. But then when you're not, then I think it's fine to just take that time and yeah, just kind of balance it out.
1: Yeah. Like forcing creativity is a very difficult thing um, for for anyone to try to do and it's frustrating to like sit down and like, open a Google Doc and it's you're just staring at the cursor and you're like, okay, right. <laughs> and you know, you can't force it to happen. And that's and I've experienced it so many times over the course of, of years of even when I'm mid-story or mid-chapter on a story. And all of a sudden I just have I have nothing. I have no idea how to get it out of my head and on, and onto the onto the piece of paper. Because you just can't force it. And I haven't, I, I could have tried to force it a little, maybe, but I was like, I don't want to. I don't want to backfire. I don't want to end up ruining it for myself because it's supposed to be fun. Like fandom is supposed to be fun. Yeah.
0: I mean, you, you do know. it for free. And this is your like enjoy. This is your hobby. Like, you say it's your hobby. Like, exactly. This. I'm like,
1: no one's paying me to write this fic, which is which is completely fine. I don't want to get paid for writing fic. I'm, so I'm like not beholden to anybody to be producing fic. So why am I going to put pressure on myself to create something? And then in my and probably in what I would probably create if I created something that would be in my opinion subpar to what I would have created if I had you know wanted to create
0: and you've got to enjoy it like it's it's your kind of time and hopefully you get as much out of the writing experience as we do reading it
1: I, I hope I do. I have no idea what it's like. I have since I write it. I have no idea what the experience is reading my particular fix, but reading other stories can be so cathartic and emotional. I mean, I've cried reading, you know, stories and laughed reading stories and whatnot. And to be able to provide that experience to to people is pretty amazing and an unexpected turn, you know, in, in my life that happened many many years ago. But a really cool thing, and I don't want to lose that. So I'm I'm all for, you know, a break, whether it's self-imposed or otherwise, to kind of recharge those batteries.
0: So with your fic writing, then, what are the main things that you enjoy writing with these characters? Oh, man. Um, I mean, it's certainly a, a fanon
1: at this point, but Becca having walls and Chloe figuring out how to knock down the walls... And then probably the wall is coming back up because of a misunderstanding. But then ultimately the wall's coming down, but probably just for Chloe. You know, that type of plot progression probably exists in some form or fashion in the majority of my stories because it is so interesting to live in Becca's mind and what she must be thinking about whatever the scenario is. Whether it's she doesn't want to confess her feelings to Chloe because, like I said, oh God, it'll ruin our friendship, or she knows she's moving to LA, or she's dating Justine doesn't know how to break up with him. The list goes on and on that there are just so many paths, again, like choose your own adventure, like so many paths that that Becca can take to figure out how to ultimately be open to Chloe in whatever way Chloe needs. And the flip side of that coin is the almost enjoyment that I get both reading and writing. Chloe being afraid to confess her feelings and Chloe being the affectionate one that she is, but Always a little tiny bit nervous that she might go too far. So she'll hug Becca and she'll crash in her bed, but she'll always be maybe just a little bit standoffish at certain times that like Becca might even notice and be like, why is Chloe being weird? And the wondering that that kind of sparks like in Becca's mind of like, oh, like, is she feeling something too or whatnot? So I think ultimately it's the, whatever Becca's journey is to Chloe. That's, that's what I like to figure out the most.
0: I like that. It's Becca's, Becca's journey to Chloe. That's (laughs) exactly. (laughs) I think that's quite interesting as well with what you mentioned about Chloe, because she is the open one and she's not afraid of personal space or expressing herself. But like you said, there is this line uh, that you often find in fix where when it comes to confessing her feelings, she also struggles with that Mm -hmm. moment. There's just, there's that line there and, and kind of who's going to break first. Exactly. I feel like I was just trying to kind of
1: rack my brain of fix over the years, but I kind of feel like in the end, Becca seems to be the one who does the confessing first most often. And I could be wrong about that. Please don't do stats. But I think that's because Chloe values Becca's presence in her life to such a degree, not to say that Becca doesn't value Chloe's presence, but Chloe would rather suffer for the rest of her life as Becca's friend than not have Becca at all. And I think that that is what leads to exactly what we were just talking about of Chloe towing a line, but being almost afraid to, to push it too far, lest she, you know, scare Becca away. So it's always Becca having to kind of take that one step forward or two steps forward while Chloe takes one step back. And they eventually, they eventually, you know, find each other while trying to dance around the fear of losing each other.
0: Yeah, I think it kind of makes me think with that as well, the fact that Chloe will go to a point, but it then Becca has to be the one to cross the line. Like yep. she opens the door, she'll initiate the physical contact, she'll do those things to a point, and then it's got to be Becca who then reciprocates or does something to say, yes, I want this as well, in some form or another. Like I really like Becca as being not the shrinking Violet, that
1: she, at least in early fix, was really purported to be of being nervous about around people, no social skills, you know, very little like experience in the bedroom and all of these different things. Like that's not, to me, that's not Becca at all. You know, Becca's just has like, has like self-preservation skills down to a T because of whatever, you know, childhood you choose to believe she had, whether her mother died of cancer or her parents got divorced or whatnot. But Becca's is like a really strong person. and. Even if she's really stubborn, even if she's really closed off with those self-preservation techniques, you know she is strong enough to be able to be the one to, to actually cross that threshold. When push comes to shove, when there's no other option, she's strong enough to be like, yes, I have
0: feelings. I like that. That's yep. fab. I love it. It's interesting as well that you mentioned, I mean, this is kind of generalized, but you had seen headcanons or things that were themes early on in the fandom that maybe have changed. What would you say are some of the other things that you've seen have changed in the fandom over the past few years?
1: Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that's one of them, but not being present for the early crop fix that came out. Right after the first movie, I have no idea what, you know, motivations or headcanons or fanons were at the time to that kind of led to Becca being kind of, you know, a, a bit of a scaredy cat, if you will, or she might run off at any, any given point. But I think that with the second movie in particular, because she all of a sudden was a leader and not only was she a leader, she was a, a leader with Chloe and she was confident and all of the things and she was confident in the first movie, but confident in a different way. Confident in her music, but not confident in herself and in her life, because she had so many unknowns. Of she's being forced to join a club so she can still go off and do her own thing, and being shaken that she's found people that she needs in her life and whatnot. So she was confident in a different way that wasn't socially. But in the second movie, she was so confident in who she was and with the Bellas, and she you know finished school and she had you know was figuring out her plans and everything like that. That. I think that really created kind of a shift, I think, to Becca at least being more headstrong in a different way, not so much stubborn, but just more of a speaking her mind way. And then if we're talking about like and shifts or whatever, I mean, I can't not mention the whole like top bottom discourse <laughs> that happened, you know, what? that time is fake. I think that it was happening like a year and a half to two years ago now, where all of a sudden it seemed like all of a sudden people were like wait becca's a bottom and like the people who you know subscribe uh, to or subscribe to that are like obviously she's always been a bottom you know, but even looking back, and that's what I would uh, subscribe to if you were to ask me, but, you know, to go back and read earlier fix, that's actually not the case in a lot of fix, including including my own. You know, not that like top and bottom has to be like a real thing or a strict thing by any sense of the imagination, but there was like a shift at some point. I have no idea what sparked the shift. I'm sure we could probably find it. I feel like if you asked a uh, Teresa, a.k.a. AO3 user iPhone, she would be able to pinpoint it because she's like the queen of the top-bottom discourse. I hope that she replies to this in some way with with a
0: link. Um, I will just say as well that we have been wanting to do an episode about top and bottom, but we're oh trying God. to find somebody who ships Becca as a top. Oh. So if anybody out there
1: <laughs> firmly believes find- Becca
0: as a top, get in touch
1: with me because that would be you're, awesome. gonna, you're you're going to get like three people <laughs> <laughs> or maybe all, or maybe all the closet top top becca um uh, truthers will come out of the woodwork you never know maybe like maybe they're just afraid to speak out because maybe because the the bottom the bottom truthers are so uh, firm in our beliefs
0: <laughs> well you know somebody did a poll on uh, on twitter and at least 5 or so percent people clicked that she was the top so I don't, know, those, those probably, I don't know. the people out there. They were probably bots.
1: I mean, <laughs> find those five people and <laughs>
0: we'll have a dialogue. Love it. That's an interesting one though, because yeah, just to think now it's so firm. A lot of people have picked up on, you know, Becca's the bottom or how, if you want to look at it, this kind of fun idea that people play around with. But yeah, when you look at earlier fix, like you said, that is just, that's not the case. That's not. Yeah necessarily what people picked up on. I mean, I'm guessing, but it may have to do with
1: like how how Becca was so telling people to buzz off in her own way through the entirety of the movie and, and kind of being the one in control, even if she ultimately wasn't really, but being perceived to be in control of everything in the first movie, as opposed to the second movie where she's this team player And Chloe, I think, has a lot to do with like her Chloe's performance in the second movie being Aubrey 2.0 almost, with her controllingness and just being so like anxiety ridden about winning and all and all of the things that led to that kind of interpretation of oh, Chloe is really like in charge, if you will, in this in this situation. And Becca's like cool to go along with it as long as Chloe is, and that wasn't that just wasn't the case in the first movie because they didn't have that history and established relationship yet so it was very much like becca's in charge in the first movie because she and she did take it she ended up you know not the riff off even though she stepped up for the riff off but after the the whole fight and everything like that yes the pool scene thank you i just watched the movie yesterday You think i remember (laughs) yes the pool scene where she like stood up and was a leader and i think that it might be born born of that
0: it's interesting as well that you kind of picked out the fact that each movie then added a new dynamic to how people saw the characters or what was written, and how then maybe you saw shifts in the fandom writing because of these moments.
1: Exactly, and something that's been really interesting to talk about, like amongst my friends who are writers, is how fandom influences fandom, and the I think the top-bottom discourse, as much as we laugh about it, and and me theorizing that it's you know because of characterization in the movies. There's also a big part of it that comes from reading other people's work, and whether it's you know who's more dominant in the bedroom, or a catchphrase that someone always says, or a city that someone's always from, these things kind of like they become these fanons that are rooted in in nothing. They just become this widely accepted truth amongst fics that everyone just keeps using because everyone keeps reading it. But all it really takes is perhaps one widely read fic or really popular fic, or from a major author, or something like that, that decides to change things up, or doesn't realize they're changing things up. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, that's interesting. And And finds inspiration in that, because fandom does inspire fandom. And, you know, when I read other people's work, it inspires me to, you know, sample concepts from their work, or wow, if we want to talk about smut, like, how difficult it is to actually write an effective love scene and seeing how someone else is doing it and be like, Oh, I never would have thought to use that syntax or whatever. And like, let me try adapting that for mine. And I think that things like top or bottom or whatever other fandoms you want to think about, it's interesting. If you're in a fandom for a long time to be able to actually witness that evolution and be like, wait, why did everyone always say that like Becca had brown eyes in 2012? Like, did no one ever see Anna Kendrick's eyes? Every thick <laughs> in the first, like the like the, the first mini crop of fics that I went back and read many years ago, she has brown eyes. She literally has blue eyes. But for some reason, everyone decided that they were brown. Um, and it's I guess it's a little bit of that, you know, uh, herd mentality or whatever of like, oh, that's just the way it is. And and I've done the exact same thing. i like, oh, especially as a new writer starting out, you're like, well, that's what everyone is saying. And that's, that's that's how they all write the character or whatever. I'm like, okay. And then it's up to, you know, the writer to forge their own path or whatever and come up with their own unique um, characterizations. But it's really interesting to watch the evolution of that.
0: I think that's really fascinating as well. I love how you mentioned that fandom is quite a melting pot within itself, you know, and that this becomes a big inspirational bubble for everybody who who wants to take part in, whether it's writing or creating in some form or another and how, like you said, little things can creep out that just catch onto people's imagination and maybe it starts something that you never thought it would exactly. and that you can see moments of that happening.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I love when that happens because that's when it starts to feel more like a family than a bunch of you know weirdos on the internet. <laughs>
0: I love that though, because it, it does, like you said, it just, it builds that community. It allows people then to kind of jump on things, run with things and appreciate maybe something that they enjoyed from somebody else that has really caught them and they want to kind of take and run with it. Exactly. So with your own fix then, I mean, you've written a lot through the years. What were some of your favorite moments to write? So I can't not say Finding Harmony
1: because it was the story that started it all. And that was really me figuring out how to write these characters and creating a world. And that, in that case, like that picked up after Pitch Perfect 2, well, in the middle of Pitch, Pitch Perfect 2 and like went for years after that. So that was fun in the world building sense of coming up with whatever was. I, at this point, I can barely remember the story, but I think it ended up being a fame AU of sorts. Yes, it did. Um, and being able to to build that and stuff was so fun as a way of like introducing myself to a... World building, original world building, which is difficult to do, but read like the deep research of going into these characters and both for myself and going and consuming other fan work. So, like, I was reading. Voraciously at the time, like reading every Bichloe and non Bichloe, just every pitch perfect fic that I could find, because it was all basically research for how to write for the fandom. Because, you know, being a new writer in a fandom is a very scary thing. And we all fear rejection. And I think when I posted the first chapter of Finding Harmony, it had like 17 notes or something like that on Tumblr, you know, and then to to be able to see what it grew into with no rhyme or reason. That was meant to be a one-shot. I wrote one oh, chapter. Really? It went, it, I wrote one chapter. <laughs> and it, you can read it top to like top to bottom of like, we're at camp and I regret that I said this and it's okay. I heard it and we're going to sleep with each other in the shower to afterwards in their home and like, oh, I, I loved you all along. It's it's a self-contained story in chapter one. But in doing so, I was like, oh, like there's so much more I want to do with these characters and in hindsight, you know, maybe I would have just started a completely new story or what have you, but you can't rewrite history. So I ended up telling this endless story. <laughs> like I guess it is like three and a half years. And I can't believe it went on for three and a half years. My dear peer Redlands, I have no idea how she's managing to still go back to experimentation and write it because now it's been five years for her. And the amount of story that has progressed in that time is surprisingly small. So like as a writer, I have no idea how she's doing it. So kudos to her for being able to be able to return to it after so, so much time. But that was fun to do. Like finding harmony was just straight up fun to write, and I wrote every possible scenario that could happen. There were trips, there were airplanes, there were yachts, there was, you know, gross guys, and it was like it was a fun thing to write. So I can't not say that in desperate measures because that was just so fun to write about, to like the scenario that we're all living, but but just obviously a very hyper realistic. Scenario that I think that we all maybe or most of us would have enjoyed in some capacity. We were in that exact scenario. <laughs> you know, not everyone would enjoy that, obviously, but I think that would be a very fun, you know, scenario to find yourself in, um, assuming it all played out the way it did with the happy ending. The fic that I probably enjoy the most of rereading. And I don't really reread my fix because that's kind of weird, but I do go back to it for reference or inspiration or whatnot is Fade Into You, um, which is a fake dating AU. And that was just born of like a Tumblr post or a tweet or something that was just send wedding invitations to celebrities and CEOs, and they'll probably send you free shit in response because they don't know who you are and their assistants just dealing with it and just see what happens. And true to the fake dating world, it's the train just off the rails and we're going to go to Fiji and I guess we're going to really get married and all of of these things. That was a story that was really happy with the way that it turned out. And I don't, I don't say that a lot but I really liked how it came out and I really had a lot of inspiration from something, I don't know, Now it wasn't based on anything other than that one simple meme, but I really loved working on that. And that's the story that I'm attempting to rewrite it into an original novel with the intention of actually publishing it as a real book someday. But I have to- Amazing. Yeah, so that's exciting. It's something I never thought I would do is like write an actual book, but I have to basically rewrite the story and then double the story. I have to do the world building that doesn't exist when it's not- Pitch Perfect characters. So, you know, it was fanfic and fandom that has brought me all the way around to, wow, I'm going to like, maybe I'm going to write a book
0: and publish a book. Yeah, especially that story, I think is quite fascinating because I can imagine it was a lot of fun to read. And the hilarity of how far were they going to go before they had to admit that this wasn't real. Like,
1: right? <laughs> we're, like we're signing the wedding, the marriage license is in, like, you're going to say something? No. Okay. Are, like,
0: you,
1: are you signing it? Yeah. Okay. Like Exactly. Yep. Like, okay, we're having the, the actual wedding rehearsal now. Like <laughs> our parents are here. Like it's just every time it's, it's, it's almost like an, an I dare you situation. Like who's going to be the first one to finally, to finally say something, you know, up until the point of like, Chloe being like, I can't, like, I want this to be real and whatnot. And, and and finally having that moment and and whatnot. And yeah. And then like, okay, I guess we're going to get married for real now, like for real, (laughs) but also emotionally for real, (laughs) all in that short amount of time. But, you know, I I think that that was just a fun, a fun journey to go on.
0: I did wonder where you got the idea for that It sounds ridiculous when you read the summary, and I remember us kind of going through the fic, and Becca's even like, "This is such a stupid idea." But then they all just kind of get invested in trying it out, right? Because, like, because you know that's a scenario of like, what's the worst that could
1: happen? What's the worst that (laughs) could could happen? And let me tell you, someone, a personal friend of mine, is doing this exact thing right now, not ever having any idea of this fic or, to my knowledge, the the tweet or the meme or whatever. But, you know, she's like, well, why not? Like, why don't we send out invitations to people that we, you know, people or whatnot that we have mailing addresses for and see what happens. <laughs> I think we all want to have that like exciting moment of, you know, who doesn't want to get something for free or who doesn't want a celebrity to acknowledge us or or send us a, a card or whatever, you know, and what is the worst that happened? Well, in, in Beck and Chloe's case, it's they get married for real, <laughs> which is a great thing. It's not the worst thing. That was really just a, you know, like I said, just a train barreling down the tracks. There is no conductor. But let's see who can finally get in to pull the brake. No one pulls the brake. Yeah.
0: What is your relationship with comments? Because, it, you know, it's one of those things that everybody gets on their fix.
1: I would say who doesn't love comments, but there's always going to be a person who doesn't love comments. But I love getting comments because to me it is almost a receipt of Again, I'm not getting paid to do this and I don't want to be getting paid to do it, but it is effectively um, a receipt or a tip of my cup, you know, my virtual cup that someone has read something that I have just poured some of myself into. In some cases, it might have been three hours of work. And if we want, like Finding Harmony's case, three and a half years of my life, you know, went into that story. And in that story, I was writing, you know, probably at least an hour a day, if not more. You know, when you add that up, the amount of time of my life I've invested into writing stories, like to know, like, a like kudos is great. I'm never going to be like, don't leave kudos. When people comment that even if it's an like, thanks or amazing, someone actually took the time to acknowledge the work that I did or the idea that I had. To me, that's really rewarding. Yeah, like all the comments. And I try to leave comments on on stories that I read because I think that that's a common theme amongst writers. We're doing it for ourselves, yes, but it's great to be acknowledged and it's great to be appreciated.
0: Yeah, you hope somebody gets something out of what you've decided to share and put out online. Exactly. Yeah. One thing that every creator has to experience or have to worry about, especially... With writing, it's quite personal endeavor as well, The spending the time, putting your heart into something. How do you keep yourself motivated or have a good headspace if you get a negative comment? Well,
1: <laughs> so I don't want to come across as being self-obsessed or whatever, that's not the right word. But I mean, no one likes negative comments to begin with. Constructive criticism is one thing. But in my opinion, um, unless someone is asking for constructive criticism, they don't want it and they don't need it. And, you know, it's one thing if, I know I'm like name checking her a lot, but, you know, Teresa slash iPhone slash Becca Mitchell on Tumblr. Um, am assuming she You were changed all recently.
0: It? I, <laughs> oh my God, I haven't been on Tumblr. Um, <laughs> and so it's, what's the, Zoe Levinson? Oh, that's Chloe. Might change it again. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So I mean, um, Dash I assume it's Chloe. Um,
1: you know, it's one thing if Teresa, who is also a writer and an established writer at that is talking to me like writer to writer about something because that feels like an appropriate conversation or like a peer to peer conversation, you know, but it is more difficult for me to digest criticism from a reader. And I'm not trying to come across pompous at all. That's because what it does, and I've mentioned, you know, imposter syndrome, and please Google it if you don't know what it is. I basically doubt that I'm good at anything all the time. Yeah. Um, and it's a very common thing, especially with women, especially with women who are quote unquote successful in their professional lives. So I pretty much think I'm a failure all the time. And I, so I don't really need, you know, readers telling me that I didn't do a good job because I can almost guarantee you, I already think that I didn't do a good job. Or like I said, a, like a trusted friend would be like, well, maybe not, you didn't hit the mark that time or, or that was a you know weird section or what have you. I can promise you, I probably already knew it because I hold myself to a very high standard. So like, I'm aware if a fic is like not my best. So I don't necessarily need someone to tell me that it's not my best, but you know, it's it's the internet. So <laughs> you can't take the heat, get off and get out of the kitchen, right? And, you know, thankfully, you know, I, I, I love everyone who reads and comments on my stories. And it's been a rarity that I, or I would get a negative comment that was actually rude in some way. Like, usually they're trying to be helpful or calling out an error. I've made like gross errors before of like changing what someone was wearing or using a wrong name or any of those things. Cause like, I don't have, I don't use beta readers because I don't want someone telling me that I did something wrong. I'm that like much of a perfectionist that like I'm holding myself accountable for those things. And when people point out those errors to me, I'm so grateful, but I'm also just horrified <laughs> because of that high level of perfection and, and the standards I have for myself. So I appreciate the call out of an error so I can fix it and I will immediately fix it every time but if you can't say something nice
0: yeah and, and thank you for sharing that because I think it's a very real thing that a lot of writers or people who make artwork or anything that you then put out online has to deal with and you know it's not easy so I appreciate you just kind of being open about that and it has to be something that you feel safe to continue to create and exactly something that you enjoy doing and so you yeah, know find that balance I think is is really key. Yeah. And I think something that is easy
1: for people who aren't creators, and we couldn't create without them, but you people who are only readers and consumers don't necessarily realize because they haven't done it themselves yet, that it's a piece of ourselves. Like it it could be a crazy, crazy, you know, E rated thing that I've written or what have you. But that's still a part of me in some way. It's that is my brain that's on that page. So Yes, it's a story about Becca and Chloe, but that's part of me. That goes back to, you know, like the internet. Like it's very easy to be anonymous on the internet, but writers and and editors and whatnot are all people. You and I are having this conversation right now, but there's people that I read who I've never spoken to in my life. But it's because I am a creator, I understand what it's like to pour your heart and soul out into something and the pain that can come with criticism, even if it's a very light criticism, because you might as well be like criticizing me about myself to my face is kind of how it Mm. feels. So yeah, that's a little part of us every time, at least for me, a little part of me every time you read a story.
0: Yeah, so delving into some of your fics then, we've had quite a few asks from people or questions from people around smut. What about Obviously it's a subject that you write quite a lot about, Jess on Instagram would like to know, uh, did you ever find that people just expect smut from you? Or if you write something non-smutty, do you feel pressure to include a smut scene in there?
1: I think a lot of it is, again, self-imposed pressure to deliver the effective smut scene. Of course, people, you know, if I haven't written one for a while, if I'm writing a story that isn't just all smut, people are like, when are they going to get it on? (laughs) Sometimes that's, it makes me laugh and I'm fine with it because I enjoy and play with whoever started it, but they're like, you're the smut queen. And it makes me laugh that they call me that, but it does kind of make me feel like, oh yeah, like this happens to be my specialty within the fandom. It doesn't mean that other people aren't good at it. Many, many people are good at it. It just happens to be a niche where I tend to flourish in just as, you know, people flourish in angst and fluff and whatnot. So I do sometimes feel like obligated to deliver that because I'm like, oh, I need to step up and deliver my piece of the whole pie that all of the creators are contributing to the, to the fandom. And like, that's my slice of pie is coming up with these like absurdly explicit or sometimes very romantic, you know, stories. And I want to try to, you know, to, to keep filling that niche, you know, in an example of like a story, I wrote the fic 36 questions and that was, I think it was three chapters of dialogue. It was just three chapters of Dialogue that was increasingly emotional and whatnot, between two friends and you know stirred up feelings and everything. And the fic was completely done. It was done. It was completed and everything. And so many people like messaged me, sent me messages, comments, what have you, wanting smut out of that particular fic. But I literally went back and it's an, I think it's an epilogue. Like wrote it as an epilogue of like what happened after their final conversation, like added an entire smut scene to a story that I had considered done because so many people had wanted it. And I don't fault anyone for that because it's, it's, it kind of feels like resolution in a way to, you know, the consummation of, of any type of love confession or whatnot, especially within the fandom world tends to be a sexual one. So I don't fault anyone for wanting a smut scene in a story that I'm writing or prompting me for one, but I do feel some self-imposed pressure to deliver um, sometimes. And sometimes it's super easy for me to come up with one. Sometimes it's not at all, but I'll tell you, nothing takes me longer to write than a smut scene. I would think that, like it is like they, it, I mean, like I, I will spend like five hours writing like a hundred words because it's so, It's like watching a movie in your head because when it's physical, you have to figure out what everyone's doing. What is your left hand and what is your right hand and where's your foot? And like all of the things, all of the things that are going into, you know, a love scene. It's a lot to like uh, track in your mind and like, okay, I want them to do this. Now, how do I explain all of that in a way that is not jarring or off putting or whatnot? Because what I feel that I'm able to do effectively based on my own opinion is writing. Very erotic scenes that are not tacky. And I think it can be very easy to toe that line of like, well, now I'm just reading porn. Like, (laughs) yeah, there's (laughs) nothing wrong with that. And, you know, I've written, you know, porn without plot before, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I think that there's a lot more enjoyment when there's emotion involved in it. And to be able to convey emotion and the connection through a love scene, through the written word is really difficult to do and takes me a long ass time to do it. But I think that I'm able
0: to do it effectively
1: if I may toot my own horn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I never really thought about it, but it must be quite difficult because you've got to describe what's happening. And like you said, where all the, you know, what everybody's doing at a specific moment in time and get it on a page that is something that somebody can visualize or that they can imagine happening if they're reading it. Because Potentially, that's not going to be dialogue, a lot of it, you know, it is about trying to get that description down or whatever it is, so that it does convey what you've got in your head.
1: Exactly, and you know, to draw from one's you know real life experience or whatnot, like you realize how how much not talking is happening in moments like that, or if it is, it's very brief and whatnot. So you do have to focus on the actions and the feelings of the moment way more so than dialogue, which will carry the rest of the story. But those scenes in particular are all about action and emotion, um, and not about dialogue. So. It is like a bit of a complex dance to be able to come up with the words and put them in the right order in a way that doesn't take someone out of the moment. If I'm reading a smut scene, literally like a sentence has just weird syntax. I'm out of it like that. Like I'm out of the moment. I'm out of the the world. But that's not to say that everyone has that experience. But I've just been reading thick for so long that I think that I've become just extraordinarily probably way probably too discerning as far as what I find enjoyment in but that's why I put so much care or try to put so much care into those scenes when I'm writing them because I don't want someone else to to have that experience because it's very frustrating You're like this is so great oh my god this is amazing oh why did they do that that's gross um you know like like that happens and so like I try really hard to like I said like toe that line of like not being too over the top, unless that's the actual intention to be um, just overt.
0: Another question that we had from Instagram was from Cheryl, who said, do your M slash E rated fix tend to get more attention than your lower rating fix? And do you feel pressure if your non smutty fix don't get attention? Yes, they happen. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. So if I, you know, write a
1: smut fic or smut chapter, it absolutely goes much much further than one that doesn't have smut in it. I think that might be true for many authors, though I will say that um, because I think that people like to read that type of content. Um, <laughs>
0: even if, even let's if be not, fair. Let's be fair. I had to read, yeah. so I, I didn't quite appreciate this until I went back uh new year's i was like i just thought it'd be fun to to have a look and see what were the top fix according to sort of some ao3 or fan fiction and i did the top one shots i think maybe one wasn't and i was not prepared i was like i i'm gonna read i have to read these out what like and it was just literally like okay these are all m slash e rated like clearly you know yeah, there's an audience right. for it, you know, and even <laughs> and,
1: you know, the, like the the hits the hits reflect that even if the comments and kudos and reblogs don't, and like I respect that from everyone. I read a lot of stuff that I might not want people to know that I read, and that's that's completely fine. Everyone has their privacy. So so yeah, those type of stories do go further in the fandom world for me in particular um, than stories I write that don't. Like again, Fade Into You is one of those examples where I love that story so much, and there is not a smut scene in it there's hints at it there's beginnings of it there's endings of it but there's not a full-blown love scene in that i always have wondered i'm like were people disappointed that that didn't exist in that story and that is because of the the success of those chapters and other stories that i've written and i'm like oh i wonder if i let people down um, by not putting an explicit love scene in the story with that story in particular just it didn't feel necessary it's one thing to tack on an epilogue. It's another thing to try to shoehorn something in. But those are thoughts that cross my mind. Like what I'm trying to write now is like, doesn't have a, an explicit scene in it. So I'm like, oh no, am I, I going to come out of the gate? Finally writing a new story after so long and there's no smut in it. Are people going to be disappointed? Like, where's Alicia made smut. Like it's been so long. So I do have those thoughts and conversations with myself of like, do I want to compromise any ideas that I had or or whatnot in order to serve the interests of my readers, because that is a, that's an important thing to do. And I don't want to discount the importance of that. I write for myself, first and foremost, but if no one read my work, it would be really boring. <laughs> to be shouting into a void. So I certainly want to do my best to give readers what they want while still, you know, respecting my own creativity. So it's finding that balance of giving people what they want and giving them a product that I'm happy with. And if I can't figure out how to do it in a way that I'm proud of, then I won't do
0: it. I like that. I think, especially like you use the example of Fade Into You, the fact that it just didn't happen. It wasn't needed for that story or whatever you felt. And so you were able to just stay true to what you wanted to create for that moment and then there's other stories where it just comes and it works and and that's fine and and the fact that you can find that balance knowing that you know yeah people probably do expect there to be a, a scene in there somewhere where they get together but yeah that you can find that kind of and be happy with that in your work.
1: Yeah yeah exactly and that's I want to be proud of what I put out like and I've put out work that I'm not as proud of and then I feel kind of ashamed but To everyone's credit, if they don't like it, they don't really tell me that. Um, So maybe it's not as bad as I think it was. Because again, I think everything I do is bad. (laughs) But 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 the you know but the kudos and the hits and whatever tell me otherwise. So I have I have to believe the data. The scientists mean well. the, The data says
0: the data says people like it, so it must be okay. But yeah, that's the problem. Though your your inner critic is usually the worst critic. Correct. I think the thing is with uh, a lot of things, it seems to be, especially with one shots, that the smart ones are just going to be revisited more than anything else. So they're going to get they more ser- hits. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they serve a purpose.
0: They <laughs> the serve same a purpose, <laughs> especially in quarantine times. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Another one we got from uh, Tumblr from an anon was: "Does any of your writing come from personal experience?"
1: Yeah, and. Of course, I don't know if they're asking, like I've been asked through Tumblr surveys and, and having an open inbox and whatnot multiple times if, if I'm writing a smut scene, if that's based on you know real life experience. I think that's because people are just curious and it's kind of salacious. And is this, is this person really getting up to all of the crazy things that she's writing about? I have no idea if that's the question they're asking or if it's more general, but I can answer both or one in the same. Like, I don't know how I would be able to write anything if I wasn't drawing from real life experience, whether it is a smut scene, whether it is an emotional scene between of like, you know, coming out to a parent, whether it's fighting with a friend, whether it's going to space and being whatever's going to happen in stowaway. We're all excited to see that movie. Maybe i going to go like going to space and having a disaster in space. I've never been to space, but I'm still going to draw on personal experiences that relate to that type of a situation whether it's some other type of emergency or traumatic experience that that i'm going to draw from and i don't know if that's true for everyone but i certainly draw from real life experience to one degree or another with everything i've written because if i was trying to make something up that i've not experienced i don't think i would do it very well i think it would come across forced or fake if i had never been in love i don't know if i could write about being in love in a good way if i have family dramas and things like that like all of that happens to everyone to some degree. And being able to pull on that, to draw on that, I think creates more evocative work that is more relatable to everyone as opposed to just outlandish things that no one could possibly have experienced or related to. I think it helps keep it grounded in reality a little bit.
0: I like that. I think especially as well, like you mentioned that you're drawing on emotions that you've had, like you said, maybe you do write an AU that's out of this world or whatever it is, Bellas in Space, whatever it might be, but you can draw on the emotions of maybe something that you have gone through and maybe helps you then understand what that character is feeling or how they might react or feel in this situation and, and help you in writing that. Exactly. It's not specific situational, it's
1: general emotional.
0: And another question we had from Tumblr was from another anon who said, is there any chance we're ever going to get another multi-chapter of story from you? Probably. That's what I'm attempting to write. And I think that I would end up breaking it up at least into
1: two parts, probably, because it's already 8,000 words and I'm only halfway through. But yeah, every with every intention to to write another multi-chapter. I, I highly doubt you're ever gonna get another 90-chapter <laughs> situation out of me. Cause I mean, I don't, who knows, maybe the world will change and I'll become a majorly successful writer and be not have a full-time job anymore and just be able to write all the time. And writing the Chloe will be my escape from having to write for um, my publisher. And then maybe I'll have all the time to write, but. I will, yeah, I have every intention of writing more than just a one shot in the future.
0: I just thought it'd be fun to just look at maybe a few fics. Obviously, we talked a little bit about Finding Harmony already. When you started that, did you anticipate it becoming as big as it became? Because, I mean, when I first came into the fandom and treading the water there are a number of fics that people will point out to you it's like you have to read this fic and i mean experimentation with one finding harmony was another and it was like these are like bedrocked fics in the fandom
1: yeah and and i think favorite uh favorite record um it would be the third um tentpole mm. of of those like fics at least that were born um in the pitch perfect two post pitch perfect two era no I, I mean i certainly didn't expect it i mean i was just trying to you know, flex my writing muscles, if you will, and write something for myself. That was like, like I've said, like I write for myself first and and reader second. I had no expectations of anyone reading that fic. I did not think it would go anywhere. And I was writing that purely for me wanting to rewrite the movie because I was upset with how it played out. I'm like, I'm just going to do this my own way. Because I found that, oh, people this is a thing people are doing for for this franchise. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. So I was doing it for fun and for myself. And I had no idea that it would eventually pick up the steam that it did. I could probably go back through on fanfic.net, which is where it was born, and identify the chapter where it took off. I don't know what chapter it would be. like I had no clue that it would take off. And I had no clue that it would go on for 90 chapters for three and a half years, that I would take them from college all the way to having kids in college and their kids you know their son going away to college that was a surprise a complete unplanned surprise for me
0: I think that's really fascinating with it as well because like you said earlier the fact that it could have been a one-shot originally and then you look at it now and you think what was it like creating a whole universe because like you said it it went from being this one chapter story to them having kids and the kids growing up and, and everything like that
1: It was fun in a creative way that I hadn't experienced before. And and to the love with that type of creativity. And, you know, I remember choosing houses, like a friend of mine was actually on Zillow. I I have a, I literally still have a bookmark. Like I can send you the Zillow listing for their house. Um, It's a real house. Yeah, it's a real house. <laughs> it's a real house. Like I remember like, you know, she was on Zillow and she's like, how about this? How about this? How about this? And I was like, that's the house that I want them to live in. Um and learning like I Google Maps all the time and like I like it was fun to be to be doing the research part of it in order to create that world. What is the structure of a record label? Like I was having to learn about like, cause Katy Perry was like Becca's artist in that story. So like what record label is Katy Perry on? Well, she's on this one, but it's a subsidiary of that label. So if she wanted to work with this artist, would it be a problem if that like having to like learn about the music industry, you know, parts of it, I already knew part, a lot of it, I didn't, it was so much fun to like educate myself to tell the story that was just like Blossoming in my mind, like or unraveling as I went, of like, oh well, Becca's going to get signed as to a record label. I have no idea if that's even a thing that happens with record producers. We're going to pretend that it does. I still don't know if that's the answer or not. But like, you know, to learn about all that stuff and decide how that affects their lives. Like how would it affect their life if Becca had an invitation to work for her and that story, was like the weekend, like the weekend wanted to collaborate with her, but what if she's not allowed to because of her relationship with the record label and like whatever record label he was on and what that innately creates conflict within the plot of like, Oh, now how does she navigate that? How do I navigate around it? How do I write her out of the situation? I think I was able to get her out of her contract or something like that with Capital, universal, whatever record label she was a part of in that story. Yeah. So it was a, it was fun to be able to teach myself about the things, find the inspiration about the things and like create a world. Like I had a whole, like, yes, I have the house on Zillow, but I also used like a design program to like design their first apartment when they first moved to LA. Because for storytelling purposes, I had to make sure I understood this is what's upstairs this is what's downstairs here's how close it is and it doesn't make any sense for you to be in the bathroom talking to me if i'm in the kitchen because i could like like logistics like that that you have to figure out once you're committed to telling a particular story and like can she drive across town um, to that place in that amount of time and where is that restaurant and all like all of that is so fun for me to figure out that that was probably my favorite part of that fic in particular is like how much time i spent on google figuring out how to tell the story I wanted to tell in a realistic way. I don't want to be the recipient of someone saying, that's not the way it works at all. Because again, I'm a perfectionist (laughs) and I already think it's terrible. So don't tell
0: me I messed up. I love that though, that you could literally kind of delve into this whole idea and the back work that went into it and that you could get as much enjoyment out of just building it as, as you did writing it.
1: Yes, 100%. I'm hopeful that you know, putting the time and energy into the research and whatnot is, you know, lend itself to a more effective story than if I was just winging it. I mean, I winged the entire story. Like, I didn't have any type of an outline until I was probably like twenty or thirty chapters in, and I was like, I better figure out where this is going. And I was like, okay, so chapter twenty-one will be this, and twenty-two will be this. You know, at least to be like, now they're going to go to Malibu. Now there's going to be a conflict with the boss. Now. Chloe has an enemy at the school now like to try to like walk myself through because I I think I could have been writing it forever if I didn't have you know milestones to get myself through it.
0: Another but Chloe Shipper asked I think you've kind of already answered it but I'll I'll ask the question anyway is how did you come up with the ideas for Finding Harmony and what made you decide to finish it?
1: Specifically with starting it was sitting in the theater um, next to my then girlfriend and watching this movie and you know chloe being like the one thing i regret most in college is not doing enough ex- or i didn't do enough more experimenting in college and just like looking at her and being like <laughs> i can't believe they just said that in this movie and then becca just being like you're so weird and turn and just like turning her back on her and i'm like well i was like that that was like a just like a bs moment of them trying to do something and then not having the balls, they mean meaning the movie creators, not the characters, to take it a step further and being like, there's no reason where they didn't either A have a conversation afterwards or B kiss right then and there or almost kiss right then or there or have implied kissing to happen after the fact. Like obviously I'm incensed about it still and that was in 2015. You know, and and it was that. And it was literally like that moment and the look of hurt on Chloe's face Which I didn't really notice when I first saw the movie. But then coming to Tumblr, you know, that that scene has been gifted so many times. There's a gift that has it upside down. So Chloe is the one that's right side up. And when Becca turns, you see like Chloe's face fall and you can see it like in her forehead and brow line and and her eyes fall and it is like heartbreaking. And like it was that where I was like, Chloe just like did her best to bear her soul to the person that she loves. And she was basically told like, you're weird (laughs) by, and like, and like how, and like how heartbreaking and embarrassing and all of those things it must have been for her to find, she was finally brave enough to do something only to be, you know, brushed off as if it was a joke and what happens after that. And that's, I think how that story opens of Chloe literally crying in the bathroom because she was so embarrassed and Becca happens to catch her crying in the bathroom. And it goes from there. It was literally just needing to do like a fix it on on that moment that just took on a life of its own of wanting to tell their story um, over the course of what ended up being, you know, 10 plus years. And look what it became. <laughs> completely unplanned, you know, completely unplanned. And, and you know, and I was really good about tagging on my blog. So like anyone could ever just like search Finding Harmony on my blog and go back, you know, pages and pages in. And you can see me being like, I don't know what's happening. And people asking me, "When's it going to end?" And Me being like, "I don't know," <laughs> you know. And that's and it's fun to go back and and see that kind of poorly controlled chaos that was happening <laughs> with the creation of that story.
0: So, what was the point? Were you just like, "Okay, I need this. I need to stop now. This this was enough." Oh ninety
1: chapters, we Ninety chapters in. Well, I think I realized that ninety chapters would be a nice a nice round number to end on. I think I wanted to be writing other Bukhovoy stories. And Finding Harmony was getting in the way of that. And I was like, again, I'm being forced to be creative about something that I'm not as passionate about anymore. I really want to do this other stuff. So that's when I was like, it's just time.
0: Like it has lived its life. Okay. So jumping into 36 questions, where did you get the idea for the questions? Because they were so good. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you for that. But
1: what I like best about that is that that's a real survey. That like, that's a real survey test thing. That's like, you can Google it. It's in the New York times. It's done by psychologists. That's like guaranteed to fall in love if you do these 36 questions. So like, I didn't make up any of those questions. So thankfully that work was done for me. And that came to me as a recommendation for my best friend, who is a pretty prolific writer in her own fandom. And she had written it for her fandom. And she was like, Aaron, I think that you would really enjoy, you know, writing this prompt, if you will. And I was like, ah, uh, okay. And she sent it to me and I was like, no, this is amazing because it, it progresses from such top level things to just like soul bearing honesty. So thankfully I didn't have to come up with the questions. I don't know that I would have ever been able to, but coming up with the answers was really, really difficult because it's, it's one thing to have casual dialogue of the Bella's chaos and the kitchen making breakfast. It's quite another to have a story that is almost entirely carried by dialogue and these the complexities and sincerities of their answers, which have to be rooted in their characters um, in that instance of story as we knew them. There was not world building around their characters. The characters were, you know, as canon as they could be. And to put myself in, you know, each other's shoes, trying to answer questions about, I can't even remember the questions at this point, but coming up with answers like Chloe, you know, mentioned how she had donated bone marrow to like a kid who had cancer. Like Chloe wants to help everyone. Chloe wants everyone to be happy. So of course, Chloe is going to be someone who will, she can't donate her heart to you now, um, even though she will give Becca her heart, but she can't give her, you know, she can't donate it yet, but she can donate bone marrow to help a dying child. Cause that's what Chloe would do. So coming up with that kind of what would Chloe do? What would Becca do? Was a really cool character exercise that um, probably laid a lot of groundwork for fix that came after that. Even though that was kind of mid cycle in my life of stories, because there was just so much character analysis that had to go into
0: writing those writing those answers for them. Did you ever feel pressure delving in so heavily into their psyche and and trying to answer them as these characters?
1: Yeah, totally because. I had to make it all up. You know, there was some things, again, are, you know, rooted in the canon characters, but we don't know 99% of what happened in their life, aside of the movie, before the movie. And I didn't want people to be like, that would never have happened. Like, Chloe would never would have done that. Becca, that's completely out of character for Becca. Because that's very jarring for a reader when someone is suddenly very out of character. And I know I've made the mistake in the past, probably in Finding Harmony, of of slipping out of character for the sake of telling a story. But that was a case where I wanted to use so much care in coming up with their answers that it felt so real. Like, of course, that's what Becca would say. And of course, that's how Chloe would feel. So it was some pressure. but. It was an amazing exercise to do. And then, you know, threw on, like, tacked on a smut scene at the end just to, you know, give the people what they wanted. (laughs) But it it, it stands alone without having that scene. Like, it's completely self-contained without, you know, a bonus bonus chapter.
0: Another thing that we haven't really talked that much about was Kissing Booth, which is quite popular. How much fun was it writing Chloe as the badass? Because often it's Becca, (laughs) right? Well, yeah, and I think that You know, that that also stems
1: back to like the first movie's characterizations of Chloe being so um, subordinate to Aubrey and Becca being so headstrong in her opposition to Aubrey, you know, and then the tables turned after that. And but those characterizations, you know, kind of stood the test of time for a while until we all were like top and bottom. But to have Chloe be that badass person and, and Becca kind of being the good girl, if you will, was really fun. Like, I was trying to think, could I have switched their characters and had roles reversed? Maybe. I wish I could tell you I remembered my motivations behind choosing who to to put into which role. Um, And and to be honest, it might have been because it was unexpected. There's one thing for adhering to Fanon and expectations and whatnot. But when you're doing an AU like that, you can pull up the movie on Netflix and watch it along with it. And like the dialogue is almost almost verbatim, other than, you know, Becca has to have some extra dudes in there because <laughs> it's Becca. <laughs> but when you're doing such a direct adaptation like that, you can you get way more, I think, free license to do absurdities or the unexpected than if I were to create an original work that was about a kissing booth at Bardin University. I
0: would probably not do it that way. I love that. And the fact that you've being able to have that fun because it was inspired by this thing, it was already out there that you could kind of play around with it a little bit.
1: Exactly. There's a, there's a lot to be said for like shaking things up, especially creatively. Cause it, it's, you know, it can kind of turn into a grind almost of I absolutely enjoy writing, but it can start to feel like a grind of like, oh, this again, even though I enjoy it and everyone likes it. But it, it's fun as a creator to take a sharp left turn and see and, and have it just be completely wild and, and whatnot. And, you know, there was like, I adapted like a, a Black Mirror episode that was like that. And, you know, the roles were probably, characters were probably pretty equivalent. It was so much fun to just like explore that type of world with those characters. It like frees up brain space to do the more traditional creativity if that makes any type of sense um because i'm kind of getting out the crazies the create the crazy scenarios here in order to refocus and kind of be more dedicated to traditional things on the other side
0: i think it can make it quite playful as well i i had never seen the black mirror episode but i read the Thick and i was like what (laughs) but it, it was it was just because it can be so different and you can play around with the characters and just See many completely new scenarios and just have a lot of fun with it.
1: Yeah, and that's probably why I go back to such direct AU adaptations with relative frequency. And and like I've said, I kind of criticize myself a little bit with the, for the not being super original and not putting in as much work as I probably could to make it more unique, but. We're all here to have fun and then, like like if if it's if i'm enjoying it and if two people read it then great i would rather have fun reading it than slog through something that that i'm not happy with like for the sake of what i don't know
0: yeah yeah what was the inspiration for making jesse and chloe like brother and sister in the kissing booth because that was just that was so good
1: well because like jesse had to be there as some type of antagonist so again like with any type of like AU thing like that, it's like, okay, great. So here's this cast of, of characters in this source material. Here are my 10 Bellas. Now you have to start figuring out who makes the most sense to put into what role based on the plot of the AU source material, you know, like. OK, well, we need to have Jesse to be able to like harken back to canon material as well. So like it's it's all a matter of like picking which character makes the most sense to replace in the AU material and, and see how it plays out. I've written AUs. I can't remember which one it was. I literally wrote half of it and then decided I need to switch be- Becca and Chloe because really? I realized, yeah, like I realized like halfway through it, I'm like, you know what? The dynamic is just not going to be right. When I had watched the source material, it like I, I was like, Oh, perfect. And I was writing, I'm like, you know, this honestly just feels weird. And I literally had to go back and go through and change all the names and do all of the find and the replace and like, reread it and hope I didn't say like red hair instead of brown hair and all of all of those things. It is a matter of make trying to get it right, even if it's just wild and crazy.
0: I love that. It's almost like you have a cast and then it's just like, okay, which role should they all play in this, in this story? Exactly. I just have a big casting
1: board. I'm like, Aubrey will be this person. And like, and that's, that's how it is. Like I literally will have usually when I'm doing that here, like I will have all of the names of the pitch perfect characters and all of the names of the people. And I will literally be like, okay, so, you know, this person is this person, this person is this person, this person is this person. So I can, work through it and make sure it makes sense. And that's how I'm dealing with it in my, you know, adaptation of Fade Into You. It's like, oh, because I have to create brand new characters that like, oh, this person is Becca and this person was my Chloe and this person was Stacy to be able to like remember because I'm not like, I, I'm i not good at writing an outline for like an entire story as, as has been, <laughs> as has been covered as I'm very much fly by the seat of my pants. So um, and sometimes I do have to go back to the drawing board, if you will, and shift things around because I don't plan ahead, perhaps in the way I
0: should. But it served me OK so far. I know we've gone on for quite a while. Uh, so I've just got last two questions. What is the story that you have written that you feel has been the most underrated? I wish I knew my own work better. Underrated. Maybe you wish more, you know, it's just right. it's just got it just slipped under the radar. Maybe you wish more people would read it. It just. I mean, it's not like it was a flop of a fic by any means.
1: And I know I keep mentioning it, but it's just because it's so close to my heart, which is paid Into You, just because I think that it's, it's a story that I feel genuinely proud of. So I'm always going to think that it was underrated in some capacity, which is probably why. Like, I feel so passionately about it, which is very rare for me, so passionately about how the story came out to turn it into something that I want more people like other than the fandom to read. I want to expand the story. I want to have it on an actual book on my shelf that people can read. I want, you know, I want my family to read it or my friends to read it. Like that's how I feel about that story. So even though people like obviously like enjoyed the fic and it was, like I said, it it seemed to perform well within the fandom, but I think I will always think that that is somewhat underrated because of my own passion for it.
0: That's really cool. And it's really cool to think that you see the journey, not only in, in writing it and it coming out, but also potentially its future of, of how that f- could lead to, to other things. Exactly. And I know you've mentioned that you've enjoyed reading fan fiction and kind of getting into fan fiction. Has there ever been a story that you had read that you wish you had written?
1: I'm terrible with titles, and I will never be the person to ask about, do you remember that one fic? I will cite two fics. Number one being Remember the Day by AO3 user iPhone, aka Teresa, aka whatever her name is on Tumblr right now, (laughs) Um, aka the Amnesia AU. (laughs) And it's an angst fic. And and like I said, I'm not an angst person, but I love that fic. I still saw hope despite all of the angst and all of the despair and all of the fear, that was in that story. I mean, and I envy um, Teresa's ability to write angst in this effective way that she does, because I think that it's a hard thing to get um, to get right in the way that makes people really feel. And I know I even I even teared up like several times in that story, which I think for me in particular is difficult to accomplish in consuming fanfic and reading in general. I'm not a crier and that made me cry. (laughs) So I like I wish I I wish I was that good at telling that story. And then one of my other favorite fics is I can't remember the full title of it, but it's mixed the bourgeoisie and the rebel. By like musical dreams, I think is their is their author name, which is a fame AU. Well, they're both famous, but Chloe is the pop star, and Becca's her opening act DJ, and they created such a fun fame AU world. Like that is a fic that I will re- reread, and I have reread it, and it's always on my recommendation list. If someone wants. You know, you mentioned like you're new in the Phantom and people were like, here, we make sure you read at least this and this, like that fic will be on that list for me if I'm asked that because they did such an amazing job at the Fame AU, especially being like a double Fame AU. It's one thing if like Becca's famous and Chloe's along for the ride, but they both had their own trajectories to navigate and that yeah and it was just a fun fic to read and i want to see the chloe in concert i want to hear the song it's like i'm on parade like what is the song <laughs> like it's like it all sticks in my head so well like like i can hear the song in my head even though the song doesn't exist um it like it was just done that well I'm like that's amazing i like to write you know famous or famous aspects within within my stories but like i bow to them and their ability to 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 pull it off in the way they did
0: well, thank you so much for chatting to me. It's been really fantastic. Just for those who might not know, where can they see your work? Where can they kind of get hold of you if they want to find you on Tumblr or anything? I'm and Mead everywhere in the fandom
1: world. So AO3, fanfic.net, Tumblr, but I'm happy for y'all to follow me. You can always just like message me on Tumblr and I will happily give you, give you my Twitter or Instagram handle, um even though I'm not so fan of me there because it's a little bit professional too. Yeah, I mean, like, follow and subscribe.
0: So in our fan fiction highlights this week, we have got Bacchloe, we've got Bemily, and we've got Strawberry all in this one week. A whole variety of ships, starting off with some Bacchloe The story is called You Put Me On and Said I Was Your Favourite by Tay0720. It's available on AO3 and the summary says a look through the years of Becca and Chloe's near misses with each other with the through line of Cardigan by Taylor Swift. So This was a really interesting one shot because it takes... The storyline of the Pitch Perfect trilogy, and it's pretty good at sticking with it like the whole way through, and it, then it kind of goes beyond that as well. It feels a little bit like a character study of Becca and Chloe, looking into moments of their lives together and maybe what one of them was feeling at a specific moment in time. And I love the fact that it started off with Chloe right at the very beginning, like pitch perfect one, but really early on when she's only just kind of seen Becca and it moves all the way through. And it's also interesting, the character that they choose to focus on at different points of the story they highlight these different moments when either Becca or Chloe are experiencing something and which perspective it's going in line with, you get to kind of really delve deep in these little moments from the Pitch Perfect trilogy and unpack how Becca and Chloe were feeling at different moments and just give you like a much deeper look into it. And it really does add this whole kind of feeling on top. But what I thought was kind of interesting is they're very rigid and sticking to the Pitch Perfect timeline, sticking to the storyline. So... I loved how they kept that structure but then added in all of these thoughts and all of these feelings and then maybe even just some little moments in between that added to the whole story and so I kind of ended up reading it as I think you often do, just kind of hoping that things sometimes will go differently or you kind of know the inevitable is going to happen and you can't stop reading. I mean, it's it's there. And then as soon as it kind of gets past the main storyline, it's kind of a bit of a free-fall and you have no idea what's going to happen. And it's really, really exciting to see how the writer brought this all together and where they saw it playing out Thought was really touching was including the song Cardigan by Taylor Swift. I mean, that song's emotional anyway when you know some of the background and and everything. It was a really interesting song to have with all of these moments when they feel so close to each other and yet not quite together. They feel like the most important person in that person's life or whatever, but then something just misses it out like they're just they never quite get it right so those lyrics just kind of like stand out to you as you're reading and it's embedded in amongst the story just kind of adding to the whole feel of what happens and it really does build up I always love reading Sonfix and how the writer envisioned a story from it and which lyrics stood out to them and how it all kind of played this story that they saw their favorite ship in And so with a song like Cardigan you could really see the hurt and the anguish that came along in moments those moments when they felt like they were the most important person and everything and it just it all just came together and it was lovely. The next story I wanted to focus on is called You're My dot 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 by The Fourth Dickinson. This is on AO3 and the summary says Emily finds she wants more than a mentor. Meanwhile, Becca is unreasonably fixated on the new legacy. Wait, no she isn't. Who told you that? Shut up. This is a Bemily story that is focused in it around Pitch Perfect 2. So they sort of tell you that this is loosely based around Pitch Perfect 2. And as you delve into it, it's such a random story and I say that like quite endearingly because it's got the underpinning of Pitch Perfect 2 keeping the structure together and yet there are so many random things that happen partly because both Emily and Becca are just useless gays like they're so endearing both of them and yet they just can't figure themselves out they get themselves in situations and you're just like oh guys come on what are you doing? I just kind of fell in love with the story because of that. It is so funny. I'm I i do not know where they got their ideas when they were kind of verging in and out of Pitch Perfect 2, where half of this stuff came from. Some of it is so random. And yet I don't know what it is about Emily joke, but it just kind of fits especially with Emily. Just some of the random things that seem to happen in around her and Becca one of my favorite moments that just kind of i was just kind of shocked when i read it and it just kind of stuck with me it was just, there's a whole scene when they're having like milkshakes and curly fries and for some reason they start talking about duck penises i don't like, even like understand where this came from it was hilarious and it just allowed this whole banter between these two characters And I love the fact that you have kind of, Becca's the older one, the more experienced in some sense of things. Emily comes with this whole innocence. And yet at the same time, they just don't quite know how to navigate each other. Becca, I think in her attraction to Emily, sometimes kind of puts her walls up and just becomes a bit more deadpan and maybe doesn't react in the best ways to some things that are happening. Emily's sometimes a bit too pure for her own good and it just kind of allows for these random moments to happen and I also quite enjoyed how other characters along with the story just really helped this to play out. Stacy is a great one. Stacy's kind of like seeing everything happen from all these perspectives. It's like one of Becca's best friends and she can just see the... Both of them have eyes for each other. They're not really navigating it very well. And she's just there to kind of coax them along, puts them in situations so they have to interact. And it just kind of works so well. She's just watching it all play out and sometimes just meddling a little bit. And even Chloe, I thought it was quite interesting. Obviously with the Pitch Perfect fandom being very the Chloe-focused, like I can imagine it being quite daunting having Chloe there. And how do you do the interaction with Becca and Chloe when they're not the main coupling and I thought it was very clever how they had followed the storyline of Pitch Perfect 2 and kind of had this history with Becca and Chloe and how that worked out and what their relationship was built on and worked in that sense and the fact that they did have this deep friendship and maybe that's why Becca doesn't share about her internship or things like that And I think that also really helped with the playing out of this story and and how Becca and Emily were gonna get together or like figure things out, being useless gays as they are and all this stuff. So all these great little moments in there from multiple characters that just kind of pin this all together. And I love it when you get a story in and around the Pitch Perfect universe, when you get multiple Bellas being involved in this story, not just the main coupling. And there is, I've been told, there's like a whole part two fic that is in the process of being written, it looks like. So the story's not over at the end of this fic. There's more to come, which I'm well excited to read. And the final story for today's fan fiction highlights is a story called To the Victor Goes the Horror by De Marx, 035. This is on AO3. The summary says Stacey wins the 69th Hunger Games and meets Aubrey during her victory tour. Will the two fall into traditional district rivalries or will they forge a new bond strong enough to topple the capital? Now there are a number of Hunger Games-esque type fics that have been written in and around the Pitch Perfect characters. And so I was intrigued by this one. I think especially because you're always fearful with something like The Hunger Games because people are going to die. Let's be fair, it's The Hunger Games. You don't want to read your favourite characters dying. I mean, it's horrific, especially if they're like pitted against each other or whatever. So with nerves, you jump into a story like this, intrigued to know what's going to happen. And I loved the fact this one was completely different. Like a number of times I've read hunger games au fix and you know it kind of follows tradition of what the hunger games is that they're going into the battle and everything but this one started off completely differently because it's at the end of one of the games it's not at the beginning so you don't actually spend a lot of time in the actual games itself this is kind of what happens in and around that And it was really interesting because it focuses a lot on the lives of the victors and what happens after the games and maybe what their lives are like how do they deal with their victories and and live their lives and it turns out this whole dark underpinning with being a victor which i think you get from the books anyway but it was really interesting how they had played this out for the story and it really does focus on aubrey especially at the beginning and her journey because she seems to be one of the more experienced victors and the dark life she's had to live since being a victor and the responsibility that's on her shoulders and it really hasn't dealt her a good hand, she's really had a tough time of it and it's really interesting because a lot of the Pitch Perfect characters are thrown into this world you get to see a lot of the other victors like Chloe's a victor at one point and And everything like that. So you get to see all of your beloved characters playing different roles that play out in this story. And of course, Stacey is the newest winner of the Hunger Games, the newest victor joining in. And there's almost this alliance amongst the victors that they're all in the same boat, that they've all experienced the horrors of going through the Hunger Games. And also on the other side of that and trying to live a life that is really difficult with all these expectations after they've competed. So there's like a really complicated kind of political undertone going on and they're all having to be really careful. And so it's really interesting how navigating this very treacherous world that you would hope was easier after The Hunger Games actually seems almost more complicated and how that plays its toll on Stacey and Aubrey. But after that, it really caught me off guard because there's a moment where the story just kind of picks up pace and then you start jumping through years and it turns out that after a few chapters this starts to play out the actual storyline of the hunger games and how all these characters that the author has placed in positions will play this story out and then it's so interesting how the victors have to deal with what's happening with the Storyland of, of hunger games obviously then going into when some of them get called back into the games itself and then you're getting really worried because all of your favorite characters are suddenly thrown in to have to compete again and the roles that each character is going to play in that and i will warn you some of them don't survive It's interesting then, with the storyline of The Hunger Games, what things happen to which characters, and how that affects how they view each other and how they overcome these challenges. It was really gripping to read and how they kind of laid it all out, but also heartbreaking, like what happens to certain characters at different points and you're just like horrified and like you're just hoping against hope that everybody's gonna make it and, There's points when people don't, or some survive and some don't, and it's just... It's very gripping. And it was lovely to read a Hunger Games story that was clearly very deeply thought out. Like I can't imagine ever writing anything like that because it must be so complicated to get it all right in your head and write it all down that somebody's going to understand that. And I can see why there's a lot of Hunger Games stories out there that aren't finished which is so gripping because you'll never know what happens, but this one is like completely done in all its chapters and you get to like a lovely finite ending, but it is very gripping and worth a read. Those are our fan fiction highlights for this week. A big, big thank you to Alicia Mead for talking to me and getting into her fan fiction. It was so lovely to speak to her and to kind of get deeper into her mindset and how she writes what she writes and of course if you want to keep up to date with the podcast you can we are on instagram twitter facebook and tumblr and of course you can leave us a rating and a review on places like spotify as well we've also got our ko fi so you can support the podcast if you want to at pitch slapped thank you so much for listening and i'll see you next time pitches